Welcome to Designing the Robot Revolution, a design perspective on Industry 5.0. We will be discussing everything relating to digitalization and industry, from AI to Internet of Things. And more human aspects, like how to collaborate across silos. All while trying to understand where service design and design thinking fits into this. My name is David Griffith-Jones, lawyer turned service designer turned industrial strategist. Jacob Magno, an engineer turned UX designer turned strategic service designer. So, David, Industry 4.0, how did we do? Is it over? Well, already people are moving on, aren't they? All the thought leaders are talking about Industry 5.0 now, if you go to any of the online conferences. So, there's... um. What you'll notice when people talk about Industry 5.0 is that there is this self-consciousness now, I think, about already 5.0? Geez, when is it going to be 6.0, 7.0? When does it end? So you'll hear people saying that actually Industry 5.0 is in addition to Industry 4.0. We're not moving on from Industry 4.0 because, frankly, got a long way to go. There's huge potential when it comes to connecting machines and intelligent supply chains, smart products, which are the classic embodiment of Industry 4.0. Industry 5.0, just to kind of attack this in terms of what is the difference, instead of just thinking about connecting machines, we need to focus on the employee experience, the customer experience, the people working within this connected technology. Uh, that, that's my feeling as well. I, I'm I'm hesitant to use Industry 5.0. Uh, Industry 5.0 is it, it when you go into the definition of it, it makes sense that we need to have more the human perspective, and that's where we come in as service designers, I think, and and that's a really good space to be in. So for that reason, I think Industry 5.0 can be a very powerful thing for us and for leaders in industry to sort of highlight the need for for sustainability and the human aspect uh so i've i'm I'm coming around to it uh but i'm not i can't say i'm fully there yet so yeah i think industry 5.0 should be seen as something that's bringing an additional focus to industry 4.0 emphasizing the sustainability impact that can be achieved through industrial internet of things and that's really what industry 5.0 is all about actually when when you give your definition of industry 5.0 relating to thinking more about the human um, both customers and say employees and focusing on the sustainability benefits of connecting machines that they would say well look industry 4.0 done well should already be thinking about those human actors and it would already be primary use cases around sustainability. But I think having this new term does give additional focus to, to things that, with, with the best will in the world, are, are often overlooked in technology projects. Yeah. I think just looking at it also from a sustainability perspective, uh, the the potential that is there, if you just look at all machines that have moving parts that are being produced, if we, by using digital tools, can make every moving part 1% more efficient, that's a huge saving when it comes to CO2 emissions down the line. If you also 
think of all the things you can do within the factories, uh, the, the, the benefits are enormous, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. I think it's a key motivator for a, a lot of designers working in, in this space. If you, if you speak to, to, to designers, many of them are idealists and, and they want to do things that are make the world better uh, and um if you look at a lot of the design conferences for example in 2018 2019 uh, and beyond the key topics are around sustainability uh, and and design ethics and i i, I it's not as, as sexy um as some of the other industries that pull in design talent say uh, retail um you know, working for a, a, a big sports brand would be a lot of designers' dream. But actually, if you look at um, the impact that could be had in terms of sustainability, if you can work within the industrial context, that's where you can have a, a, a massive and relatively immediate impact on key sustainability drivers like energy consumption and, and CO2, as well as have a, a huge impact on the way people's working lives exist. So there's huge potential impact there. Yeah, it's important to sort of think about the effects that decisions will have in this space because the outputs of everything is so big. Like if you have a factory and you do a change to the factory, the the consequences are, are almost always big in, in one term or another. And I think, for example, thinking about how do we... Effectivize, how do we digitalize? How do we make sure that people have good jobs? Things like that. The possibility to take responsibility for very large questions is something that I, th- I think designers are looking for. It's getting increasingly difficult to have that sort of big impact in retail, for example, or digital services, because it's so locked in in the way that it's done with the big players uh, it's it's very hard to design something new but when you come to look at industry all of a sudden you have a lot of possibilities and and i feel like we are as designers very welcome into the space as well yeah i think we are getting the benefits that you've been speaking about but we can also offer something that has been missing in traditional industry just from a skill perspective uh the 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 training to go out and talk to stakeholders without having, I should say, too much of your own idea or at least be able to set that aside and come in and do an exploration that isn't too much colored by expectations of what you want to achieve, I'd say, uh, is one thing that is missing in industry that we as designers can help with. Certainly in the uh, designer's toolkit, isn't it, to go and explore in uncertainty with, without necessarily having a, a specific clear view of, of, of something specific to be achieved. I see an, another key buzzword that has enabled service designers to, to get more traction in the traditional manufacturing space, and that is serviceification. And when you look at Okay, what is serviceification? It can result in four different potential benefits to traditional manufacturers. Firstly, serviceification relates to the fact that manufacturing is increasingly using, producing and selling services related to their core business, manufacturing. So it looks at the, 
the ability for manufacturers to add services to what they're producing, which increases the value of the product and deepens the relationship with the customers. It also taking the serviceification mindset enables the manufacturer to see beyond their simple play of producing the product to maybe extend the value that they're offering. Manufacturers are increasingly using services to, to improve their processes and improve the way that they manufacture their goods. So under this term serviceification, it can be how manufacturers use services and also how they create services. And, and that has opened the door to an interest in service design mm. because if if there's a recognition that serviceification is important for manufacturing well it op- it makes it easier to open that door into conversations about how we're we designing those services and so i think that's been a, a big big key in, in in smoothing the entry for service designers in this space yeah and i mean even producers of of business to business goods are are looking at this increasingly uh it doesn't seem to be only a business to consumer i mean uh, industry rarely is but i think what we're seeing is that serviceification is also coming into that part of industry which i find very encouraging i completely agree and the the different perspectives aren't they that you you can view it as you say as a business to consumer where you're manufacturing an entire product uh, so in discrete manufacturing, and that product becomes in, in, imbued with additional services that deliver more value and a deeper relationship to that end user, that consumer yeah. who's buying the product. But equally, that relationship between uh, an original equipment manufacturer and who's using lots of different components within, you know, the classic would be a car, um, and actually, each of those individual components, to use the example within a, within a car, can provide services to the main manufacturer of the vehicle that enables overall improvements in, in the product through services sitting within the main product. So there's definitely this business to business and business to consumer uh, lens, which is really interesting. One of the, the bigger things that we also see now that the the, the sensors are, are getting so cheap and the possibilities for creating just wonderful solutions is, is increasing at the same rate. Yeah, the capability really has improved so much, hasn't it? As you say, with sensors just becoming increasingly cheap to have placed around, they really are being commoditized. And then spawning from that potential with all those sensors you have a huge amount of software solutions uh, that are being produced and in this atmosphere where there's all these different solutions that have such great promise that's where a designer um, and a design perspective can really help to bring focus to where the value can be delivered who it's delivered to and and where it can start immediately delivering value so, David, I'm curious to know, how do you perceive it is to come out into an industrial context and introduce service design? What are your experiences there? I often think that that this service design perspective isn't so different to what they've been doing for 20, 30 years when you look at lean 
or Six Sigma. And so there can be this perception of, well, this is we've been doing this and now you're coming in with your, 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 your new toolkit. How is this different? To what we've been doing before. I think one thing that sort of springs to mind when it comes to why service design is different is Six Sigma and Lean are very similar in many respects. They're both like centered around this agile mindset. Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of similarities, but I think the intention is sort of one of the bigger differentiators when it comes to service design compared to these methods, processes. Um, where the scope is so much more open, what the output will be. Yeah, I'd agree with you. And I think it's important to say that it's not either or. Um, it, designers should be looking to work with people with the competence and capabilities such as Six Sigma um, because they're key allies in, in this. I, I see one of the things that service design brings a greater focus on than say lean or six sigma is this truly holistic perspective um so to be to be tangible the classic example um i give when explaining what service design is is this idea of the theater that in the theater you have front stage and you have backstage front stage is what the audience see so that's all the things happening the actors, the lighting shining on them, the, the uh, narrative. That's what the customer experience is. But behind that, there's a whole army of people and process and technology that's enabling what the audience is seeing on the stage. And I believe that service design has a greater emphasis on that holistic perspective um, than Six Sigma and lean would would traditionally have. That's not to say that those disciplines don't also emphasize the holistic nature. But I think the mm. fact that service design comes from outside of the engineering and manufacturing context, it has different types of people uh, with different types of experience. I think that is a yeah. is a is a key part that is brought out. The only thing that I would like to add is one of the big things that I see. I I actually see both of us doing in our day to day work would be to be sort of the enablers of cross-functional work uh, because there are so many functions going into to creating a manufactured product and especially when you want to evolve that offering uh, that you have as a manufacturer there are clear benefits to having marketing and sales and engineer work together in a project and I, I feel like many times we have the toolkit to enable cross-functional collaboration. You're absolutely right. I can I completely agree. In, in a in a complex business, which almost by its nature all manufacturing is, where you have different tribes within those organisations, you have different types of engineers. Maintenance engineers might have a different perspective to a reliability engineer, for example. And then even outside of the key engineering roles, you have sales, marketing, operations, the executives, leadership. And what service designers are often actually doing is playing the role of translators or facilitators, bringing together these different tribes, understanding where they're coming from and helping them communicate with each other. 
I think it's it's worth uh, discussing the counterintuitiveness of service design in manufacturing. And what I mean by that is that products are normally used as a component of a service. Take, for example, a car in a ride-sharing service, a stove in an Airbnb apartment. So why are we now seeing that these factories and, and manufacturing companies are trying to get into the certification space? It can seem counterintuitive because when you think of manufacturing, you think of it, the very physical things, don't you? You think you're, you're literally creating physical things, which can feel quite a distance from the core of service design, which is well, you know, naturally around services. So if you're doing insurance, you know, it's really easy to understand insurance mm -hmm. as a service. Of course, we need service designers. Whereas manufacturing, well, we're making things. Well, why, why do we need service designers? But that comes back into how this, this trend of, of what servicification, whereby services can improve the production process. So a, a service such as a data mining service can help you improve your production process. So that's one way that services are used within mm. manufacturing, but also servicification in the sense of adding extra value to the product that you're delivering. So to that extent, creating product service systems, which collectively, when it's a product plus a service, let's call it, you know, the classic would be you make a product smart. So it's able to give real time data and information about how it's being used, which could be used by a business or a consumer. That is being added to what was traditional manufacturing of products. And then that's why we're seeing it. But there's still that counterintuitive element. Yeah. And I think the logic from a, from a production company's side is to, to get higher up in the value chain, essentially. I think that it seems to me like the, the logical reason for, for doing this. Um, it's going to be interesting, the development in the next couple of years, I think, when services are going to become more and more nested uh, within a product. If you take a car, for example, the car is going to be serviceified and you might not own your own car in the same sense. The car manufacturer or the service provider of the car might not own the engine of the car. That might be produced by someone else that rents that out to the company renting out the car and and so on and so forth. And it's going to be interesting to see sort of who lands on top uh, when it comes to that. And I think that's one of the struggles that manufacturing companies are are having today. Yeah, one adding to the example of the car, I think a, an interesting example is the, the battery within a car. Mm. So in, in the near future, the, you'll have your, your battery in a car that's playing the role of what it needs to do for you to drive your car. And you could maybe be subscribing, paying for the that power within the battery um, rather than owning it as a, as a piece of hardware. You could be subscribed to it. But then the other element, once that relationship changes, is that actually the battery could be providing a service to the grid. So while your car's parked up on the side of the road and you're connected to the grid, you could actually be sending power from your car back into the grid so the whole relationship between the consumer the person who would, would have traditionally owned the the product mm. changes 
And then that the role that the components within that product is playing changes as well to become far more multi-directional than just simply produced and then owned. So it's uh, it, it's going to be very interesting. That. Yeah, very much. And just from that example alone, you would have, I don't know, is it five or six potential owners of of the vehicle or battery? It could be the car manufacturer. It could be a separate entity that just rents out the car and solves the electricity to grid thing. It could be the utilities company. It could be the owner of the vehicle, i.e. the customer. Um, And just figuring out all of these dependencies and then agreeing on who owns what and who takes care of what. I think, David, I think we're going to have a lot of of job to do there's going to be a lot of of questions that need hashing out and and for me i think service design and service designers as you say capability building and facilitators of complex discussions um it's a really fun position to be in i think when you look at what what really makes these changes happen um it comes down to money. So how can what, there's so many different um, ways that these product service systems can be set up or could be set up. But finding the way that creates value for the user, for the customer, but that also generates profit or other type of value for the producer of these product service systems. We need to explore many different ways of executing on this to find the optimal ways and i think design is perfectly placed to be used as a method of exploration and testing in order to find the profitable ways and then it's those profitable ways which will define what is uh, invested in because without a clear business case things won't there's things won't get pushed forward yeah and then adding the aspect of social and environmental sustainability on top of that. That might be a perspective why designers want to come into this space. And I think it's a really value-adding feature of many designers. By their nature, these big, complex, wicked problems, designers are drawn to them and design can play a role in, in helping it. But it's about actually bringing together all the different competences and we need everyone to be coming together to try and work our way through these wicked problems. So it's a really exciting time to be a service designer. We have this opportunity to go into manufacturing now where manufacturing companies are actually looking for us and asking for our help. And we've started to show that we can be very useful. I think there's going to be so many people that can come into this space uh, from the design perspective. If... Anyone that is listening to this has any comments, I would love to discuss this. Um, you can write to us on LinkedIn. Uh, that would be Jacob Magnol or David Griffith Jones. And just share uh, if you have any thoughts on what we've been discussing today or if there's anything else you would like to hear. Um, do you have anything that would be valuable for anyone to read? with regards to this not off the top of my head <laughs> but maybe we could um 
there's some academic papers uh, that relate to product service systems, uh, which we can share in the show notes. And there's yeah. the um, the service design literature as well, which can be applied to this context, which we can share in the show notes yeah, as well. Let's make a small list of, like, not exhaustive, but a couple of things that can be interesting if you're not from the service design perspective. If you come from another discipline and you're from manufacturing and you're curious about service design, uh, we'll link some literature on how to get started uh, learning more about that. And for service designers, let's uh, find one article each uh, that we've found useful to get yeah. into the space of manufacturing. Sounds um, good. Because there's a lot of cool stuff to read and a lot of things to, to learn. Uh, so, so yeah, with that being said, this has been Designing the Robot Revolution podcast. And thank you for joining us. Thank you, David, for a really nice discussion. Yeah, thank you, Jacob. I'm trying to sort of get back the tempo of reading because I find that yeah. uh, the more I, I look at social media and YouTube, the biggest difference I see with myself is I get annoyed by reading because it's slow uh some yeah uh, I, I totally empathize with that yeah it engages your brain in a completely different way when you you're reading i mean i, I find my consumption of media has like like a lot of people has changed over the last few years and i now am a class you know i jump around youtube is my most common video consumption i don't i get restless even watching a, a one hour episode of something on netflix because i'm used to just jumping around all these different topics on youtube and it, i had the same experience trying to read over christmas that that pace the slowness in particular i was reading this one book that was really like 500 pages and so the first 100 pages are really just setting the tone and giving you the depth of character understanding so that you can then go on and enjoy the last 400 pages and um, I had to just plow through that uh, but coming through it I realized that that's the investment and it's, it's a different type of joy from reading it's so it? good it's so relaxing uh, and and the level of understanding that I get from reading uh, so take a business book take something uh, I don't know uh, the the lean startup book for example I've I have a couple of those business books that I have listened to the audiobook and then I've read it and the level of understanding I get from reading yeah. one of those books is is so much greater and it also allows for me to sort of go back and and use it as reference material, something that is very hard from a, from an audio recording, uh, mm. I find. Yeah. Great. Um, so that's good. Um, so, Jacob, should we get into the episode? I think so. All music in this episode was created by Vendla.